My name is Kendall, and I'm so excited to share with you this morning. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Uh, it's my privilege to get to oversee our schools of transformation here, and specifically I work a lot with the night school and direct that. These are our uh, ministry training, discipleship schools, and people set aside about nine months and ask God just to do a work in their hearts, transform them so they can transform nations. It's really fun. I love doing it. But that's all I get to talk about that this morning. I have to preach now. So anyway, um, but anyway, check out the schools of transformation. Ask a student what they're learning. They're so powerful. Love doing it. This weekend, um, I had a work day at my house on Saturday. Now, about three months ago, uh, my wife, Shelly, and my son, Isaac, and my cat, Chicken, and my dog, Pepper, uh, finally, I got somebody to laugh out there. We, um, we had the privilege of moving into our first home. It's kind of a crazy story how God provided financially for us to own a home here in San Diego, about three miles east of here. We're so thankful and so blessed. Um, all kinds of people in our community helped make it happen. We're signing papers from overseas and doing all these kind of crazy things. And anyway, God put us in this place. It's a long story. And and this Saturday, we had some time set aside for people to come over and help us. And so we had people doing some things like painting, you know, working around the house, helping with the yard, and, yeah, just kind of helping with some general maintenance because um, we're renovating this whole house. But I noticed throughout the course of the day that some of my friends, especially the guys that were with us, had a little bit of a preoccupation with the demolition portion of the renovation. And kind of the highlight of the day actually was ripping out this huge tree stump from the middle of the yard. And kind of everyone gave themselves a little chest bump afterwards and felt really cool when they had, they had pulled this tree stump out. And after that, you know, there was just a little hunger for a more demolition that was happening. So guys were saying, so are we going to knock out this flower box here next? Or what's happening with the kitchen? Or, you know, I could tell that there was some sledgehammer uh, desire happening where people were wanting to, to get after the house. Um, and I got to thinking about how much sometimes I love demolition. Sometimes it can be fun to destroy things, right? And as I was thinking about the demolition of my house, I started thinking about the demolition of my old life. You see, um, what is it, 2012? So in 2001 is when I really committed my life to Jesus and follow him for the first time. I was a, a wreck without God. I was on drugs. I was involved in the new age. I had all kinds of things happening. And God apprehended my life, demolished my old life, and made something new. And I started thinking about how Jesus has transformed me and what some of the scriptures say about how Jesus transforms us. I started thinking about scriptures like 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I think we have that one. Yeah, this says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And, you know, I started thinking, wow, like it says when we meet God, we're a new creation. So I thought, okay, what are some other scriptures about this? And Galatians 2.20 came to mind. Let's look at that really quick. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And so, wow, those are some interesting thoughts, some powerful scriptures. And I thought, well, here at All People's Church, the past few months, we've been in a series on the book of Romans. It's been called Uncomfortable, right? And we've been journeying through the book of Romans. So I thought, okay, what does the book of Romans say about this process of God kind of demolishing our old life and making something new? And this is going to bring us to our main text for the sermons today out of Romans chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. 
Romans 6, 9 through 11. If you don't have a Bible, we generally hand them out, but we don't have them today. We'll give you one next week. But today we have pens. So if you would like a pen to take notes, uh, there is a commemorative pen coming your way. It even says all people's church on it too, so you can prove to your friends and family that you were here. So, um, okay, Romans 6, 9 through 11. So look on with a friend, pull out your iPhone, we'll make it happen. Okay, we'll have a Bible this morning, or you can look up here with me. So Romans 6 says this, now if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he can't die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. In Christ Jesus, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And I, and I started to put this together. I said, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Count yourself dead to sin and alive to God. And I thought, I kind of wonder if God's demolition process is a little different than the demolition of my home. You see, we're living in our home right now, and so we're kind of taking our time, you know, not wanting to make too big of a mess, have too much dust happen in the process. Our baby takes naps, so we try not to make noise during those times. It's a little more of a slow process, okay? It's a little more of a, you know, we're kind of being careful and methodical, and I started thinking about these scriptures, and I'm kind of wondering, could God's demolition process of our old life, the life of sin that we used to leave without him, the life of darkness and hopelessness that we had without Jesus, could his demolition of that old life be a little different than my demolition process? And then this clip from a TV show I saw a few years ago came to mind. Now, this TV show is called Extreme Home Makeover, and what they do is they show up and they basically demolish this old house and they build a new one in like five days or something. And so that's the, that's the clip we're about to watch now from Extreme Home Makeover of them demolishing an old house. Let's watch it now. Blowing up the daybed and the dishwasher, that was pretty cool. But just to compare, those each had three sticks of dynamite. The house had over 300 sticks of dynamite. God has love his face at the end on the laptop there. That's awesome. Maybe that's what the angels in heaven are doing every time someone comes to Jesus. They're like, oh my gosh, this huge spiritual explosion just happened. All right. So, so here's the thing. This morning, I want to speak to you from the subject, sin demolition. I want to speak to you from the subject, sin demolition. Let's pray together as we hop into the main portion of our message. Jesus. Thank you that your word says that the old is gone and the new has come. I pray this morning for a greater experience of that in every heart. God, I pray that you would fascinate us more with who you are. God, that you would pour your love out on us this morning. And I pray that every person here would leave with a specific word from you, that you would have spoken to them about the way they can walk this out today, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so just to summarize where we've been in our uncomfortable series, we've been reading through the book of Romans. 
So Romans 1 and 2 was kind of about the wrath and the righteousness of God. Some uncomfortable topics there. You guys remember those messages, right? And then when we get into Romans 3, we started to learn about how without God, we can't be righteous, about how we have a need for salvation. Romans 4 and 5, we talked about how God makes us righteous by faith. We talked about living by faith. And we talked about how to have faith in the midst of suffering. And this morning, I want to, as I speak from the subject of sin demolition, I want to talk about what happens after we come to faith, after we come and we meet Jesus. I want to talk about the power of the cross and how Jesus has dealt with our sin. And there's three things I want to say about sin demolition this morning. The first thing is the promise, the promise that God gives us of sin demolition. The second thing I'd love to explore together is some problems, some problems that keep us from experiencing God's sin demolition, that keep us from experiencing victory over sin. And finally, I want to explore the practical outworking of sin demolition in our lives. So first, let's look at the promise. Okay, so Romans 6 is kind of all about this, about how God transforms us as believers and uh, sets us free from sin and the process that happens there and some specific questions that many people ask as we look at that journey. But let's start with Romans 6, 3, 8. Romans 6, 3 through 8. Let's start there. And this is going to describe some of what happened when we came to Jesus and the promises that God has for us now that we're walking with him. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. Now, oh, thank you. If we be united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Okay, so guys, let's bring out the baptismal. Awesome. You guys thankful for our baptism carriers this morning? Okay, great. Awesome. So let's explore. You can leave the scripture up, specifically that first part. Let's explore what this, what this scripture means. Okay, so before you knew God, Colossians 1 says this, that you were under the dominion of darkness. Okay, so before you knew God, your own desires, your, your own selfishness actually committed you to do wrong. There was a power working in your life. It was the power of sin. You see, sin, sin isn't just an action. It's not just something we do. It's actually a spiritual power, okay, that influences us and brings death into our life. And here in Romans 6, we see Paul discussing baptism. Okay, there's two things about baptism. First of all, and this isn't in Romans 6, but I just want to say it. The reason Jesus tells us to be baptized in Matthew 28 is because baptism is the first step of obedience that we have as believers. Jesus is trying to teach us to obey all that he has commanded us. And so he puts baptism at the front end and says, hey, this is one way you can start obeying, and then you'll live a lifestyle of obedience and blessing um, of the spirit after that. So that's, that's kind of the core idea of baptism. That's why we do it. We do it to obey Jesus. And it's a good practice for obeying Jesus in every area of our lives. So baptism is also something else. It's not just an obedience thing, although that is one reason we do it. It's also a prophetic act used to communicate the promise of sin demolition. Okay. So baptism is a death and it's a birth. So this is how it works. Okay. Before you get that, there's no water in here, by the way. Okay. So Before you get baptized, you are under the dominion of darkness. You have sin working in your body. You are a sinner who sometimes tries to do good, but you are bound to do wrong. 
there is a power working in your life that you cannot make yourself righteous. That's why Jesus came to die on the cross. Just as Romans 6 says, or sorry, this is really close. Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. So just as Jesus died on the cross, okay, and there was a funeral there that happened, baptism is kind of like a funeral ceremony. Your old man, okay, is here, okay, living its own way, its own selfish way. And God has brought baptism as a prophetic act to remind us that the old has been dumped under the water, okay, here I am, under the water, and has been raised to newness of life, okay? So just, yeah, okay. So just as we, just as Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected, baptism is a prophetic act that reminds us that our old way of life has been demolished, and God has raised us into something new. This is the promise that sin demolition, of sin demolition that the Bible gives us. It's the death of the old you that was under the dominion of sin and the birth of a new you that Romans 6.11 says this, is alive to God in Christ Jesus. That is alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, hear me very clear. I don't think we can be perfect this side of heaven. Clearly, no one in this room is perfect. Um, or else you wouldn't be here trying to seek God and trying to help him transform your life, right? Being here at church. So no one thinks they're perfect. I don't think anyone can be perfect. But here's the fundamental change that happened. Before we met Jesus, before we kind of went under the tank, okay? We were sinners bound to do wrong. When we were raised to walk in the newness of life, we are now saints that struggle with sin. Our fundamental identity has changed. We are no longer sinners. We are now saints. I love the book of 1 Corinthians in the Bible because it says this. 1 Corinthians, well, just some background first. 1 Corinthians is basically a long rebuke, okay? The Corinthian church was just kind of out of control, okay? They're out of control in their worship. They're out of control sexually. They're out of control in their diet. They just have all these problems, okay? But 1 Corinthians is right after Romans, and Paul also wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. And I love the way he starts it. He says in verse 2, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. So even as Paul is addressing people in gross, disgusting, very troubling sin, you're like, can a Christian do that? He's reminding them, okay, that they're called to be holy. He's reminding them of their new nature, of their identity as saints. Many of the letters in the Old Testament, Paul starts off, to the saints that are in this city, to the saints that are in that city. And when I say saint, I'm not talking about, you know, someone that's died and gone to heaven that some people pray to, like, for assistance. What I'm talking about is someone who Jesus views as holy and his power is working in them in order to raise them into righteousness. That's what I'm talking about when I say a saint. That is the promise of sin demolition that the Bible gives us, that the old has gone and the new has come. So here's the thing. A lot of us don't experience that, right? We struggle. We struggle with sin. So why is that? Well, before I get into that, I want to say this. Whenever the Bible promises something and we're not experiencing it, we don't change the promise. We change our lives to measure up to what God said. And so the onus, the responsibility is on us to experience God and to get free so our lives can match up with what Jesus paid for. Does that make sense? Okay, so 
as we look at that this morning, I just want you to remember that. The promise stands. God, God's word, as in Isaiah 55, does not turn void. So he has made something new, okay, as we encountered him and experienced his love at salvation. Now, there's two problems I see, though, that will keep us from experiencing the power of sin demolition. There's two problems I see that will keep us from experiencing the power of sin demolition. The first problem is pride. Say pride. Say pride looks really bad thing, like pride. Okay, good. All right, so the first problem is pride. Romans 6.1 starts with a question. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Anyone ever wondered that? You know, when you first begin to understand grace, it can seem a little dangerous. Like, so if God will take me back and he always loves me, then I can do what I want. And then I can go back to God. That's kind of the little formula, like the little religious game we play with ourselves, okay? And we think nobody knows, okay? But God knows, and we know that we're missing out on the fullness of his grace, but we're doing it anyway, okay? So, so that is, that's just a little thing that we can struggle with, okay, if we're looking at grace. Now, here's the thing. That is based in pride. And I want to tell a story to maybe illustrate this. I grew up going to camp, and we went to camp in Arkansas, okay? And don't worry, it was very, you know, it was a very modern camp, okay? So, um... But it was in the hills of Arkansas, and we were there, and it was a nice Christian camp, actually. And my brother and I would grow, go to this camp uh, for a number of summers. And camp was very structured because they have thousands of kids running around. You know, they need structure. They need help so they don't get into too much riffraff. And our camp was very structured as well, except for after lunch. After lunch, you didn't know what, when it was going to happen. But during the kind of planned activity, there would always be kind of this break. And then this song would come on on all the camp speakers all around this huge property. And the song would go like this. I'm free to do what I want any old time. Okay? It's an old Rolling Stones song. Okay? They'd play that. And that was the cue for this thing called Mishmash. Okay? And when Mishmash happened, it was kind of the one hour as a camper that you could do whatever you wanted. Okay? So if you wanted to sleep, you could sleep. Okay? If you wanted to go to, like, the archery and the rifle range, you could do that. Okay? If you wanted to play basketball, you could do that. If you wanted to do some Bible study to, you know, learn about God, you could do that. If you wanted to go get in trouble, you know, you could find ways to get into trouble. And so one story comes to mind about my brother. Now, I didn't ask him if I was going to share this story, but I think it'll be okay. My brother Thomas, he lives in Dallas now. And um, Thomas, during Mishmash one day, thought he would get involved in this ping pong match. So what he did was rather, he thought, we'll have play ping pong in a creative way. Rather than playing it from the ground, we'll play it from the table, like tennis, okay? So he and his opponent both stood on the table, no counselor supervision. It's mishmash, remember that, okay? And decided that they would play ping pong against one another. So they're spiking it and slamming it and jumping off the table, you know, these awesome ESPN moves that they've created and kind of having this whole thing. And then all of a sudden, my brother, he jumps off the table and the table has a metal end right here. It just went whoosh all the way down his leg, okay? It was really bloody. He has a huge scar now. He got in tons of trouble. It got infected. There was all kinds of issues. The camp nurse had to help him. The camp nurse must be a really interesting job, by the way. Um, so uh, anyway, so here's the parallel. God's grace is available for you. God's not going to control you. He will always take you back. But just because you're free from the condemnation of hell, doesn't mean you're free from the consequences of sin. Just because you're free from the condemnation of hell doesn't mean you're free from the consequences of sin. It's prideful to think you can do what you want 
and there will be no recourse. Romans 6.23 says this, the wages of sin is death. Now, when someone that's following Jesus sins, they aren't condemned to death and hell. True Christians will never experience hell, but a death still happens. Maybe it's the death of a relationship. Maybe it's the loss of intimacy in a marriage. Maybe it's the loss of finances. Maybe it's the loss, not of God's love, because he loves us unconditionally, but the experience of his love. Maybe our heart becomes dull and hardened by sin, and there's a death that even happens in our relationship with God. There are consequences to sin, and pride blinds us. Pride is a problem that will keep us from sin demolition. Amen? Okay, the second problem is passions. Say passions. Okay, the second problem is passions. Paul addresses our human passions in Romans 6.11. Let's pick it back up there and check that out. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Some translations where it says evil desires say passions there. So here's the situation. Can we have the throne, please? Okay. We have a baptism and we have a throne today. Awesome. We have this beautiful throne. Great. Thank you, Cole. Let's put it right here. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. So here's the situation. Some of us, well, there's a throne in our soul. Before we met God, Jesus was not on the throne. So here's the situation for some of us. Some of us, ourselves, were on the throne. Okay? We said, yeah, I'm free to do what I want any old time. Kind of, you know, we lived out of selfishness. We, our life was all about fulfilling our selfish desire. Right? Anyone been there? Okay, I've been there. Okay? Now, others of us, we weren't on the throne, but we put someone else on the throne. That was never supposed to be there. We were less um, selfish, but more struggled with idolatry, okay? So we put a goal or a dream or another person on the throne, and they were on the throne of our soul. But here's what happens. Romans 10 says this. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So Jesus is not just the Savior from our sins or our problems. He is also the Lord of our lives. And so when we met Jesus, okay, the Colossians 1 says we are transferred the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. He became the king on the throne of our soul. We said, Jesus, has anyone ever prayed this prayer? Come into my heart, Right? Okay, so when you said, Jesus, come into my heart, you didn't know this, but you were giving him control of your heart and of your body and of your life and of your future and of your money. Okay, so baptize your wallet, baptize it all. Okay, because God is in control. He wants to be on the throne of your soul. But many of us still feel the same desires that we felt before Jesus came on the throne of our soul. Don't we? You know, a lot of us, um, well, there's just God has given us appetites and desires. You know, I think I see, I see, for example, in the book of John, Jesus uh, goes fishing and he has this great fish feast with his disciples after the resurrection. So I think Jesus likes to eat. Okay. And he has given us a physical appetite. So that's one thing, right? There can be maybe our physical appetite or another thing could be our sexual desire. 
Like God has given us those things and those things are to be used in marriage for the glory of God. And that's incredible. But how many of us are reconciling how to handle that desire? What about the desire for greatness? Okay. Psalm 18 says he stooped down and made us great. There's a, there's a desire for greatness in our hearts, but we still have that desire when he's on the throne. What about the desire for success? What about the desire for provision? What about the desire for stability? There's many desires that we all have in our flesh. So here's the problem. Because we still have desires, but we see Jesus is on the throne, we kind of creep back in to the throne. Kind of like, he's there, but maybe I can kind of get my right here. Okay. So we kind of try to sneak on. Okay. And we think, well, surely God wants me to be happy. God wants to bless me. Surely he'll understand, right? Has anyone ever thought that? God will understand, okay? Well, here's the problem. James 1 says this. Do we have that? Desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Desires can lead us into temptation, which cause sin. And the wages of sin is always death, like we discussed earlier. When we follow our own desires, we are thwarting God's plan for sin demolition. Can I get an amen? Okay. So, true, Jesus wants us to be blessed, right? Genesis chapter 1, God blessed man. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Okay, God wants us to be blessed. He wants us to have a plan, a hope, and a future. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, but the proper way to fulfill our dreams and desires is in the context of a crucified life. Okay? It's, it's rather than saying, okay, God has given me the desire. Can I kind of like creep back on? It's saying, Jesus, I have this desire. How do you want me to fulfill it? What does your word say? It's not negating the desire. It's not stuffing it. That's unhealthy. But it's bringing it to God and say, God, I know this is a desire from you. It's in my heart. How do I reconcile it with your plan and with your word? Will you fulfill it in me supernaturally or provide the outlet in my life? It's to say this, I've been crucified with Christ. Can we put that Galatians 2.20 back up, Dave? I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by. I live by. I live by. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's an act of faith to believe, as we allow ourselves to be crucified, that Jesus will fulfill the desires of our heart. But the life we live in the body, we live by faith in the Son of God. So there's a promise. Sin demolition. Okay? That's what God wants to do to the sin and struggle and the things that we carry that hurt us and harm us in our hearts. There's problems, okay, that keep us from experiencing sin demolition. One of those problems is pride. Another one of the problems is our passions, okay? Here's the practical outworking. Here's how we actually can move forward today and let Jesus do some sin some sin demolition in our hearts today. I'll tell you a story. In high school, I loved history, and I specifically loved studying the Civil War. And the Civil War ended on April 9th, 1965. Okay, I know that because April 9th happens to be my birthday. Okay, so anyway, so I always remember that. So that's when Robert E. Lee surrendered at some courthouse in Virginia. Okay, so that's what happened at the end of the Civil War. Um, and however, there's this interesting thing that happened after the Civil War. There were battles that were fought after the victory was won. 
For example, the Battle of Palmito Ranch, okay, is recorded as the last known battle of the Civil War, and it happened way down in the corner of Brownsville, Texas, okay, right on the border with Mexico. You see, it took several months for the news of victory to travel. Okay, here's the principle. Sometimes we are not experiencing victory over sin. We're not experiencing sin demolition because we don't know we have the victory. The Proverbs say this, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. If you are resigned to defeat, you're not going to win. And so the first practical I can give you for sin demolition is to preach the promise of sin demolition to yourself. To preach the promise of sin demolition if you, to yourself. We have some friends here in town that um, run some Presbyterian churches, and they always say, I've been preaching the gospel to myself. And I think that's awesome. <laughs> I think it's a great reminder of the power of what Jesus has done for us. In the Chinese church, there was a man, an underground church leader named Watchman Nee. He wrote some of the books we read in our school of transformation, actually. And Watchman Nee was a powerful leader in the church. And part of his transformation moment of when God got a hold of his heart, He was staying at a friend's home, and he was struggling with particular sin. He was wrestling through it. He was trying to figure out what to do. And he turned to Romans 6, and he read Romans 6, 7, and 8. And his biography and the accounts of others say this, that at the end of that chapter, he got up and just yelled, Praise God, I'm a dead man, and ran out into the street. Okay? And he just kind of read, I'm a dead man, I'm a dead man. Okay, here's the thing. We need a restoration of the joy of our salvation sometimes to get free from sin. Okay, can I get an amen out there? Okay, we need to preach the good news. We need to evangelize ourselves and remember, okay, that there is power for sin demolition. You are a saint and not a sinner. You are not consigned to this. I have so many family members and friends that struggle with psychological, just mental health things. And and the prognosis is always, you'll always be this way. You know, it's a personality. Thank you for laughing. It's a personality. There's a personality disorder. It's in the very ingrain of your being. I've got news for you. That being is down here. Don't raise him up. Preach the power of sin demolition to yourself. The next practical is this. Protect. Say protect. Okay. As we discussed earlier, there's two problems that happen that keep us from sin demolition. Pride and fleshly passion. Brothers and sisters, many of us have weaknesses. All of us have weaknesses. <laughs> and some of us are weak in different areas. I don't know why it is. Maybe it's our flesh. Maybe it's our family of origin. Maybe it's a specific attack from Satan. Maybe it's our culture. Maybe it's our personality. I don't totally understand why people are strong and weak in different areas, but I know that they are. Romans 6 says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desire, so that you obey its passions. Some of us need to protect ourselves from things that stir up those passions. We need to protect ourselves from things that stir up the passions that lead us to sin. Everyone now can probably think of a sin that you struggle with, okay? So pretty easy, right? Because we all struggle. Okay, now that sin, James 1 says, is birth in a desire. So are you exposing yourself to things that are awakening that desire. Don't do that. You want to protect yourself from things that awaken that desire so God can fulfill it in its proper time. Some of us, those might be relationships. If there's a relationship that's continually falling 
causing you to fall into sin, maybe you need a season to protect yourself from that. For other people, it might be, um, you know, alcohol. You may not be someone that can actually drink alcohol. For other people, it might be social media or the internet. If you're continually following an internet pornography or something like that, it's provoking a desire. You probably should have a season of media fasting there. And there, there are just privileges that we have. But whenever those privileges take a seat on the throne, we're setting ourselves up for failure. The question is not what, what can we do? The question is, God, how can I be free? It's not legalism, it's wisdom. God gives grace to the humble. Don't walk into temptation. I can't address every specific temptation this morning just because there's too many, but I think we know what the things are in our lives that provoke evil desire. And it is our job as believers to steward our hearts and protect ourselves from those things. It's the next practical is protect. The first one, I forgot the first one. Preach. Preach the promise of sin demolition to yourself. The next one, protect. And the last one is this, and the band can come up as we, as we do this. The last thought I can share with you is praise. Have you ever done this? Let's say this keyboard represents sin. I don't think it does, actually. It's a beautiful keyboard. But let's say for the moment that it does, okay? You say, I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to look at the keyboard. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, wait, I, I'm doing that. I'm doing that right now. Oh, I, I'm looking at the keyboard. I'm touching the keyboard. Here I am. I'm, I'm playing the keyboard. Oh, my God. Okay. So you see, all right, when the, the sin is the focus, we are bound to lose. We don't need a sin consciousness. We need a God consciousness. And it's hard to keep from sinning when you are focused on not sinning. It is really easy to not sin when you are focused on Jesus, okay? I've never known someone that was praising God, worshiping him. God was in the room. They were delighted in God. Their heart was full. Their desires were fulfilled in Jesus. And at that moment, they thought, I'm going to go sin, okay? It just doesn't happen that way. Okay, what happens is when we fulfill our desires outside of God's given plan, we are provoked from our flesh to sin. You know, as I as I thought about how we could respond to this this morning, I just felt like God wanted me to ask us a simple question. Are we fascinated with Jesus? Are we fascinated with Jesus? You see, when you see God rightly, there's something in us that becomes transformed. There is something in us that, that tastes heaven in a way that another taste doesn't satisfy us. You know, I've had the privilege of traveling different countries and seeing moves of God. And there's just been times where I've, I've just tasted a little bit of heaven. And I thought, oh, no, now I'm ruined. Are you, are you fascinated by Jesus? Are you ruined by Jesus? There's a few scriptures I want to read about Jesus just as we close this morning um, to ask God to put a fresh fascination, a fresh praise in our hearts so that he can take again today the throne of our soul. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a moment. I'm going to read some of these scriptures and, and then we're going to respond. This is in Daniel 7. As I looked, thrones were set in place. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming fire. And its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out before him. 
Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The courts were seated and the books were opened. Read Revelation 1. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His hair, his head and his hair were white like wool and white as snow, and his eyes were like a blazing fire. God, I want to see the fire in your eyes. Jesus, I want to be fascinated with you. I want to go from fighting sin to being fascinated with you this morning. I pray for every person here, God. I pray that you would increase our fascination. Lord, I just think in the Bible, for example, in, in different times when Jesus would speak and people would fall to the ground after he said, I am, am he. I think this morning we might need a fascination check. We might need to check our fascination. We might need to see if we have seen recently the fire in his eyes. If we have felt his burning, fiery love. If we have experienced his gaze. If we have experienced his jealousy, his zeal for our hearts. God, I pray this morning across this room that you would demolish sin with a fascination with who you are. God, with the fascination of your face, with the fascination with your love, with the fascination of what happened on the cross, with the fascination of the power of the resurrection, with the fascination of a God who would become a man and play with kids and get dirty and go on long walks and throw parties and do incredible miracles for the poor. Jesus, I pray you restore our fascination with you today. In your name we pray, God. If you're not someone who's ever met Jesus, this this is a great morning to start your journey of fascination. This is a great morning to say, I've never heard of a God like that. I've never heard of a God who would take my old life and make me something new. If that's you, you could just pray a simple prayer respond after me right now. You may not understand all the details, but that's okay. Right now, you're just giving him the throne of your soul, asking him to forgive you of your sins and asking him to take over your life because you know you can't do it anymore. You could pray a simple prayer like this. Jesus, come take the throne of my soul. Come take over my heart and my life. Come be my Lord. Come forgive me my sin believe in the cross. I believe in the resurrection. And I believe I'll see you in heaven. Amen. Let's stand up. I'm going to ask some of our leaders to come forward. And I just feel there's a group of people today that have felt like their life is in chaos. And it's because you haven't been fascinated with Jesus. He hasn't been on the throne of your soul. And if you'd like to come put him back on the throne this morning, you may want to come up and kneel or come up and have someone and pray with you. But I'm going to invite you to respond to this message as we continue to worship.